Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Well, good morning, everyone. Okay. Do you remember what it was like to be a kid? Do you remember how vast your imagination was when you were a child? This is, this is my siblings and I when we were kids. We were, this is a 1970s picture, if there ever was a 70s picture. You can tell by the bicycles and everything else. This is Lynn, Suzanne, Philip, that's me, Peter, Malcolm, and this is our cousin Jimmy from South Africa. And you know what was interesting? When you're a kid, what are some of the things you believed when you're a kid? You look back now and you think, what was I thinking? You have any of those things? If you're online, jump in the chat room, share some funny things you believed as a kid that as you grew up, you're like, you know, what was I even thinking? I asked some people in my life, and I'm not going to use their names, but I asked some people some of the things they believed when they were young. And one of them, she lived by an airport, and she believed that people shrunk when they got on planes <laughs> because the plane would go away and it got smaller and smaller and smaller. I mean, this is kind of cute, eh? I, I don't want to name her, but I'm married to her. And then there was another person that I, I, I know, and she was saying that when, when she saw black and white photos, she thought that the world was in black and white, that everything was black and white until, you know, color came. And color came not just with the film, but she thought the world grew into color. Like, it's pretty imaginative, eh? And I get how they may have connected the dots. I talked to someone else, and they were so in love with their grade three teacher, Miss Jocelyn. He was determined he's going to marry her. And uh, she went, he went away on the summer break, came back for grade four, and can you believe it? Unbelievable. I cannot believe she did this. She went and got married to somebody else. How dare she? He was devastated. I was so hurt. I mean, he was so hurt by those things. Well, the things we believed as kids, you know, chocolate milk comes from brown cows. Your teachers and principals, they live at the school. Do you remember the first time you saw a teacher in the wild? Like you saw them at the grocery store and you're thinking, what are they doing here? I didn't know they were human. They, they live at the... It's funny when you think back about what you thought about when you were a kid. When you think about what you thought about when you were a kid, it's kind of amusing. It's important we think about what we think about as adults because the stakes get a little higher. It's interesting, Paul, the apostle, he said this. He said, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now, he wasn't talking about immaturity in as much as like when I was a kid, I believed that chocolate milk came from brown cows. He's actually talking about his childlike thinking and foolish ways were when he was in the kingdom of this world, that there's an immature thinking in this world. And he put that aside to take hold of mature thinking, which was found in the kingdom of Jesus, and it was the Jesus way. And they're not often congruent, 
Paul likens it. That's why it's so important we think about what we're thinking about. We need to ask ourselves when we're on the, on the backside of a bad decision or a moment that's difficult or even some moments that are good, we need to ask ourselves, what was I thinking? Because there is a pattern of thought that led to that conclusion in your life. You see, as we grow older, our thinking impacts our living. Our thinking actually shapes our living. Today, I want to talk about how our thinking gets in the way of our living. And we're going to look at a little letter written to a church in Rome where Paul writes in the first century. And we're going to, the 12th chapter, verse 1. Here how, here's how it starts. He says, so my dear, can you say this word with me? I've missed you, family. I really have. I love this church. And if you're new to church and Jesus, you need to understand that Jesus doesn't invite us into a singular path of just following him. He invites us into a family. You know, family's not always easy. You got to work it out, right? You know what they say about friends and family. You can't choose your family, right? And so it is with every church family. And we do life together. And we connect and we do accountability together. We call each other out. There's all kinds of things that happen in family. Well, Paul acknowledges this. He says, so my dear family, this is my appeal to you by the mercies of God. In other words, if I hadn't experienced this mercy, I could never share it with you. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. I'll end my message with that. Holy and pleasing to God. Now look at this sentence. Worship like this brings your mind in line with God's. Worship like it brings your thinking in line with God's thinking. In other words, orientate yourself vertically before you head out in your horizontal world. Orientate yourself with God first your mind, your thinking, before you head into the horizontal living of your life. I was talking to a friend this last week, and I hadn't talked to him in a while. His name's Don. He's 71 years old. And Don and I had a little Google Meet because he lives in a different part of another country. And Don is an interesting guy. He gets on this Google Meet, and he starts right away. He's just so up. He's just like, how are you? How's it going, Jonathan? I've been thinking about you. I've been praying for you in your sabbatical. And he, he was talking, and he's always so up. Don's fighting cancer for the third time right now. He ran a marathon two weeks ago. He's a prolific writer and author and speaker. Maybe we'll get to meet him sometime in this community. But I asked Don, after I listened to Don for a little bit, I said, Don, why are you always so positive? And he said, well, I have my moments. I said, yeah, but you're always leaning in in a way that just edifies and builds up. And he said, you know, Jonathan, he paused for a moment. He said, you know, I renew my covenant with God every morning. So what does that look like? He said, once I anchor myself that, hey, wait, I know what I'm living for. All the other stuff just seems so small after that, Jonathan. It doesn't catch my heart or spirit the same way. Paul goes on in verse 2 and he says this. What's more, don't let yourselves be squeezed. In other words, if you're a follower of Jesus, remember he's writing to followers of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to feel squeezed in this world. Now remember, see it says don't let yourselves be squeezed. It doesn't say don't let yourselves get squeezed. A lot of Christians begin to live lives that are kind of insulated from the evil world. And we forget that God loves the world. The world is filled with God's creation. The world is filled with image bearers. We're to be in the world, not to insulate ourselves from it so we don't get squeezed. No, we're to be squeezed. 
we will feel the squeeze of it because we're following Jesus in a world that's following something different. So we're going to feel the squeeze, but don't let it shape you. Don't let it squeeze you into a shape dictated by the present age. Instead, be transformed. This is the end game. By the renewing of your minds, by the changing of your thinking, so that you can work out what God's will is, what is good, what is acceptable, and complete. Now, in order to understand this passage, you need to understand a little bit about the Jewish first century mindset. The, the key phrase in this passage is actually this present age, the present age. Paul uses it a lot in his writing to describe the age that we're actually living in. He adds an adjective in Galatians chapter 1, verse 4 to get at where he's going. He calls it this present evil age, that we're living in a present evil age. And in contrast, in the first century Jewish mindset, history was divided up into two ages. There was the present age, where it was marked by rebellion against God, corruption, and death. And there was what was called in Jewish culture, the age to come, which was marked by God bringing new life to his creation, justice, joy, and peace once and for all. So there's these two ages that exist in the Jewish mindset. And for Paul, the, the, present, the age to come has begun with the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's already begun. We're already in it. We're already moving in it. For him, every follower of Jesus has one foot in the present evil age and one foot in the age to come. We're straddling it. That's why we feel tension. That's why we feel the squeeze. We're in both of these present age and the age to come. Now, the New Testament describes this as like a war, that these two ages are contending for your souls, your hearts, your minds, your attention, ultimately. Because whatever age gets most of your attention will have most of your heart, mind, and soul. So there's this war happening between what was old, the present age, and what is new, the age to come. Now, I brought something old here today. Some of you saw this when I came up. How could you not have? Uh, now, if you're younger, do you know what this is? It's not a suitcase. It's a briefcase. Give that kid something. <laughs> it's a briefcase. This was my dad's briefcase. It has his initials on it, JS. This is all back. When I was a kid, everyone in business had one of these seemed extra important. I always wanted to have one with a handcuff around it, around my hand. I wanted to walk around with it like I was like, uh, there's something valuable in this. There is something valuable in here, though. This is what I wanted to show you. Something very valuable inside this. <laughs> this is Old Greeny. Old Greeny. I've had Old Greeny since I was born. The first day I was born, my parents gave me Old Greeny. Now, he wasn't Old Greeny then. He was just Greeny. And he became Old Greeny when my boys got a hold of him. Now, Old Greeny was brand new. Uh, he, he was a vibrant green. He was clean. He, he had not experienced the tears and wears that were about to happen. Old Greeny has seen a lot of hard living. He's been torn apart by a dog. Yeah, I know, poor Old Greeny. He's been pulled apart by my boys. He's been, he's been relegated to living in boxes for decades. He's lived and moved around the country in boxes and thrown in closets and everything. He doesn't often see the light of day, so he's a little shy today. He doesn't often get out. Well, old Greeny is 
oh, we've tried to fix Greeny over the years. We tried to sew him. We tried to clean him, but he'll never be brand new again. Fact is, we're a lot like old Greeny. It's been a long, long time since we lived in Eden, and a lot of things have happened to humanity. The dogs of sin and evil have torn us apart, worn us down. All kinds of brokennesses entered into the human experience. Anxiety, anger, addiction, selfishness, just to name a few things. And some of us, we come into places like this, and hopefully you look better than old Greeny. <laughs> but you feel like old Greeny. Worn out, tired, exhausted. Never feeling like you measure up. Maybe a little frayed at the edges. Maybe a little torn. We, see, you and I have old greeny thinking. There are patterns of thinking and living in our life that keep us from the freedom that God promised us in life. There are patterns and ways of living that keep us from the connection we deeply long to experience in our life. See, we need to be clear. Jesus didn't come with a sewing kit to somehow patch us back together again. To, to make us adequately okay. Jesus came to transform you, change you, make you brand new. The Apostle Paul says it this way. He says that anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. Anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. The past, that's not just the things you've done, the guilt, the shame, everything you've felt. It's, it includes that, but it's not just that. It's also the past ways of thinking. The present age way of thinking has been forgotten and everything is new. Can you say that with me? Everything is new. Say it like you believe it this time. Everything is new. See, Paul's grabbing that language from John chapter 3 when Jesus meets with a religious leader named Nicodemus. Nicodemus sees something different in Jesus. Nicodemus is a righteous guy. He's living his life clean, but he knows he's missing something. And Jesus says to him, unless you're born again or made new, you will not see the kingdom of God. If we're a follower of Jesus and you're brand new, how come we don't feel it? How come we so often don't feel new? Many of us, we're living old greeny lives, anchored to the present age, straddling the age to come, but with patterns of thinking and living that keep us worn out and even condemned. Paul's pushing. Paul's pushing us in this passage in Romans 12 to let go of our greeny ways and take hold of the Jesus way. To, and we do it by renewing our minds. We need our minds renewed by the Spirit. And by renewing our minds, that's the catalyst to kickstart transformation in our lives that helps us let go of the present age and take hold of the age to come. Here's the things that push back at it. And this is where I'm going to land today, just a couple of little points. I'll pray with you at the end. We're going to sing a song at the end. But there's two things that keep us from that. One is, we are all addicted to the present age. We're all addicted to the present age. Does that offend you a little bit? Addiction is just a modern word for the biblical, traditional, old word, sin. Nobody likes to hear that word, do we? Sin is not in vogue. <laughs> and as part of me, I go, thank God, because it was not often framed well. 
But if you see sin as more like an addiction, you realize that it's a destructive disease. And why that's important for you to realize is your willpower and your determination alone cannot break sin. You are powerless in the face of sin with just willpower and determination. And you might think, well, no, 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 not me, Pastor Jonathan. You don't understand. And if you've been around church for any length of time, and why sin is such a loaded word is, if you've been around church at any time, you know that God hates sin. And many of us, because of maybe how we've been taught, maybe because of our temperament, we extrapolate that thought. If God hates sin, God might hate me. Why? Well, because if you're readily and willing to admit you're a sinner, sinful, there's something that you can't help but feel that connection. You know, I've heard it spoken even when I was a kid. You know, God hates the sin, not the sinner. And that somehow was not great consolation for me. See, if God maybe doesn't hate me, but God is often disappointed in me. Maybe he's not hateful towards me because it does say God is love, but God is certainly disappointed in me. God is certainly unhappy with me. Friends, if God is unhappy with sin, it's only because it keeps you from living a life of happiness. God hates the addiction of sin that controls us. It promises us comfort and joy, and it delivers that hit in a moment, in a season. It does, or we wouldn't participate in the patterns of this world. But it delivers some comfort, it delivers some joy, but in the end, it controls us. It enslaves us. We're all addicts to sin. Every one of us is. And that sin keeps us anchored to the present age and present age thinking. I, I don't know who needs to hear this. God's not angry at you. God feels compassion towards you. For, for many years, Shelley and I worked in the most socioeconomically depressed communities in Canada, two of them, one of the leading ones in this nation. And during that time, we worked with all kinds of people who had addictions. We worked with all kinds of people that had traumatic things that had happened to them, the pain they had. And we would hear their stories, friends. And we would just come home and cry. We didn't feel uh, judgment towards them. We felt... We felt compassion towards them. Man, how could I judge them? I might be going to the same substances, doing the same things to escape the chaos that had entered my life, the trauma that I had experienced in life. How could I judge them? You know what we loved about working with those communities, though? They were humble. They knew they needed a doctor. They knew they were broken. There's something in us when I call us all addicts. There's something in you and me maybe that wants to say, not me, what are you talking about? <laughs> no, 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 that's not how I live. Well, when we were working with this community, we also worked with this very impressive woman. I won't tell you her name, but she, uh, and it's not Shelley this time either. <laughs> she was impressive. She was a self-made woman, smart, strong, determined, could work hard, she had been an executive, and she took early retirement to come alongside these young 20-somethings to help us plant a church in this really depressed community. And she loved that community because she had come from it, not geographically, but she had been broken, came from poverty, trauma, things had been done to her. She was someone who pulled herself out. She was a self-made woman, very impressive. And I often puzzled when I worked with her. 
because she loved that community so much, but she was often very graceless towards them. She pulled herself out. What's wrong with them? She would never say it that way, but it kept leaking out in different ways. And that's often how it works. Herein lies the problem with tidy people. Some of us, because of privilege, some of us, because of our family backgrounds and orientations, you just had a leg up in life. And you live a tidier life, maybe a cleaner life than maybe some of the messy people around you. And sometimes you live under the illusion that maybe you're not addicted to sin. See, some addictions show immediate consequences and immediate brokenness. Some of them are hidden. And they take time to play out. Self-made people, even sometimes those heroic spiritual type people, they often use willpower and determination to manufacture freedom, and it's dangerous. There's no one better than the person's words we're reading in Scripture today, Paul. Paul called himself, he outs himself over and over. He's the chief of Pharisees. He kept the law better than anyone. He was disciplined, he was righteous, he lived a tidy, tidy, tidy life. And in Romans chapter 7, beautiful treatment. If, you're, if you've been around church for a long time, you should read Romans 7. He outs himself. He says, you know what? Keeping those commands was what was killing me. I was becoming proud and self-righteous. You see, friends, there is something about people that are impressive sometimes. They're easy to admire. And this woman was we worked with, but the ego often creates an unbending, proud, and often rigid personality. And the problem is, is pushy and proud impulses don't often create loving people. They create controlling people. People that need to be in control, people that need to have things under their control. And Jesus warns these type of people because it's harder for us to see our illness. We're not, it's not as prevalent to the people around us, and it's certainly hidden to us. And he warns these people because there's a group of people in the Gospels, they're called the Pharisees, the religious leaders, that really embody this mentality, and you see a pattern in their living. They'd often reduce the Gospel to some moral issue of which they didn't struggle with. Some moral issue that they were triumphant or superior over others with. And that's what the ego does. It always demands the moral high ground. Uh, a Franciscan monk, Richard Rohr, he wrote about it this way. He said, for example, celibate priests focusing on birth control and abortion as a core evil. Heterosexuals seeing gay marriage as the ultimate threat to society. Liberals invested in some political correctness while living lives separate from the actual suffering in the world. Bible thumpers ignoring most of the Bible when it asks them to change and turn the other cheek. A nation of immigrants being anti-immigrant. There's something in us, friends, all of us, the tidy ones and the messy ones. We are addicted to the present age. And it's in me, it's in you. That's why you need to think about what you're thinking about. Follow your thoughts, and you'll see where your heart is. Follow your heart, and you'll understand where your loyalty lies. Here's the thing. The ego hates more than anything else is to humble itself and change. And we're addicted to the present age. And for some of us, it's obvious, and some of us, it's not. And that leads to a place of where one author calls it, we're all infected then, because we're addicted, to stinking thinking. 
<laughs> do you have some stinking thinking? You sure do. I do. What is your stinking thinking? Now, I could tell you all my stinking thinking, but it's none of your business. <laughs> but it should be someone's business. There's a reason why throughout my ministry, I've seen counselors. There's a reason why I have a few trusted friends I could tell anything to. Why? Because what hides in the darkness will always grow. What's pulled into the light dies. But I did ask my wife, Shelley, what are some stinking thinking patterns she's seen in my life that have been destructive? And she came up with them a little too quickly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was right there on the tip of her tongue. And I thought like, wow, I wish you had just uh, pulled back or maybe even puzzled a little bit. Like, oh, Jonathan, it's really hard to know, you know. But no, she was right away. And she was true. She was right. Some of my stinking thinking has been an addiction to pleasing people. And as a leader, it's such a dangerous addiction to have. Uh, if you didn't like me, the harder I worked to win you over. That brought more pain into my life than I'm willing to admit. That stinking thinking, anchored to the present age, kept me from living a lot of the freedom that God would want for me to have personally. I don't know if you have that stinking thinking problem. Another stinking thinking problem for me was the way I saw work. I, I have been driven and worked to succeed and exceed expectations, and every one of my siblings are the same, and they've all done it. Because we, we had a great work ethic as a family, but it turned into a god. I thought my value was defined by my work. I thought the more I killed myself, the more people would love me. You know what's at the heart of both of those thinking thinkings? A lot of insecurity. I'd love to be, say, oh, I'm just such a secure person and I have my moments. But there's an insecurity that lurks deep down inside that keeps me anchored to the present age. I need a Jesus touch and so do you. What's your thinking thinking? Many Christians, I've met thousands of Christians over the years. I've noticed something about Christians. They're well-intentioned. <laughs> They're often very sincere until you get to areas of money and power and control, until you get to areas of, of pleasure and security, and then they tend to be like everybody else in the world. Why is that? Oh, what about Christian nations? You know, you've heard that term. I don't think there is a Christian nation, but we have to, we're a Christian nation. And when you look at Christian nations, you find out there is consumer-oriented, proud, warlike, racist, oppressive, addictive, as everybody else, if not more so. Do, are, we, are we powerless in the face of the sin? No. Here's the beauty of why Paul says we are no longer just in the present age, but the age to come. Because Jesus has died and rose again, and he broke the power of sin to control us. That's why the enemy works along our thought lines. Because he can't maybe control us with sin, but if he can get our thinking, if we can give him our thinking, we'll be under its control. Jesus offers an alternative way, the Jesus way. And it's often, it's a countercultural way. That's why you're going to feel squeezed. And it's a counterintuitive wisdom. Don't you notice this about the teaching of Scripture? It's counterintuitive. It goes against the flow. It doesn't make sense. 
In Jesus' kingdom, nothing gets wasted. You suffer to get well. You surrender to win. You die to live. You give it away to keep it. It's a counterintuitive kingdom. It works differently. How do you access this? If you're new, if you don't know Jesus, how do you access this kingdom? If you do know Jesus, but you're so anchored to this present age, how do you get that freedom from it? The same way those addicts did that Shelley and I worked with a long time ago. By admitting it. By humbling yourself. The great theologian N.T. Wright, he said it this way. He said, God seems to have hidden holiness and wholeness in a secret place where only the humble can find it. That's how we access it. We humble ourselves. For Paul, he says it in the first verse of, of Romans chapter 12. He's saying that it begins by offering your whole self, humbly laying down your life as a living sacrifice. And he means mind, body, spirit, everything, laying it down on an altar and sacrificing it to Jesus. In other words, we become alive as we lay our life down. We become free in the ego when we lay our ego down at the feet of Jesus. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. We're going to sing a song, and actually, I've asked our music team to sing it. Every message in this series in the month of August, I've picked a song that means a lot to me. And this, today, we're, they're going to sing a song that means a lot to me. And I'm going to ask you to use this moment to humble yourself, to think about what you're thinking about, to surrender, to give Jesus everything. This song was written in 1922. It was written by a young lady. And she had read this pamphlet about the transforming power of Jesus, and, and it caused her to write this song in minutes. I'll give you an excerpt from this pamphlet. She wrote, this is, this is what she read. If the sun of righteousness has risen upon your hearts, there is an ocean of grace and love and power lying all around us. Do you feel that? You're swimming in an ocean of grace and power and love. Turn full your soul's vision to Jesus and look and look at him. And a strange dimness will come over all that is apart from him. This song was originally called A Heaven's Vision. You might know it as Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus.
weary and troubled No light in the darkness you see There's light at the look of the Savior And life more abundant and free To live a life more abundant and free. That's the Jesus way. I want that for you, friends. The stress and pressures of life, the cares, the residue, the toxicity of this world. Some days, you don't you just wish you could escape it, eh? Just turn it off. Get in the car. Just drive far, far away from all your problems, troubles, cares that stare you in the face every day. Well, you don't need to run away. Look on Jesus. All those things will become dimmer and dimmer. Invite his power, his love, his grace. I want to pray with you this morning. In the end, I'm going to do a little benediction. But if you'd like to follow Jesus, I know of no greater remedy for what ails this world than Jesus. If you follow Jesus, I know of no greater source or resource in your life than the person of Jesus who actively is here today and wants to carry burdens you were never meant to carry. Wants to work things out that you can't figure out. Wants to forgive what you can't forgive. And wants to transform and change you so you can actually forgive others. So you can let some things go. Unburden yourself and leave his righteousness and his justice to make ways straight. So let's go to a place of prayer and invite Jesus in. Jesus, we thank you. We exalt you. We worship you. You're our Savior and so much more. You're our King. As a community, we bow our knee to you and we say, we follow you. We follow you. Not a man, not a woman. We follow you, the God-man. Fully man, fully human, fully God. And God, we want to do things your way. We want to love your way. We want to include others your way, God. So if you want to follow Jesus, you can simply pray this prayer with me. Jesus, today... I choose to follow you. Would you forgive me for all those things that I've either done or participated in that have hurt or harmed others, hurt or harmed my relationship and connection to you, even broken it, or hurt or harmed myself, God, 
Would you forgive me? Fill me with your transformative spirit. Renew my thinking. I offer my life as a living sacrifice to you. Only holy because you make me holy. And God, I hope that my sacrifice, and I know, can know because of the person Jesus, he didn't come for perfect, clean people. He came for people that are humble to know they were broken, damaged, and even dirty. So God, I acknowledge that's me. Would you take me as I am, but not leave me as I am? Heal me, restore me, grace me. I pray also, God, for all my friends who are followers of Jesus like I am. And we struggle, God, with the pressures of this world. We feel like we're getting squeezed. <laughs> but God, help us to be refined like a diamond under pressure instead of being crushed under it, God. Help us not to conform or be shaped into what this present age wants us to be, but help us to increasingly become more and more like your son, Jesus. We surrender our thinking to you. Search us, Holy Spirit. Help us to think about what we're thinking about and set us free by your power. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.